electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good morning. Happy New Year. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Scott Wapner with Morgan Brennan and Mike Santoli. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. Carl, Jim, and David have the morning off. Let's take a look at futures for the first trading day of the new year. And there you go. That's what China's stimulus looks like for the U.S. market. Looks like we're going to set new records right off the open. Dow would open higher by 165. The S&P higher by 18. Stocks coming off their best year since 2013. S&P 500 was up better than 28 percent. And as I said, those China easing measures overnight giving a boost to global markets, including here in the United States. Our roadmap starts with exactly that. The bulls on the run after a monster 2019 rally. Wall Street looks to keep it going in the new year. Stocks set to open the decade sharply higher. Plus, Carlos Ghosn mystery. An Interpol arrest warrant now out for the ousted Nissan boss who fled from Japan to Beirut earlier this week. And Tesla on a tear. Shares rallying again ahead of the open as one of one analyst issues a major price target boost, predicting strong EV growth this year. Well, we begin with the markets looking for a strong start to the new year. This after we saw the Dow rise 22% in 2019, the S&P 500 up almost 29%. Well, the Nasdaq, 35% was the gain for the tech-heavy Nasdaq. All right, so here we go. Let's get it started. Slight pause at the end of, uh, of last year. Nothing to speak of. Uh, it's been a bit of a tradition in recent years. A pretty good uh, up day on the first trading day of January. It doesn't determine the rest of the year, but it really seems like the trends that took hold at the very end of, uh, of last year are intact. You have a good fourth quarter return as we did. It tends to carry over a little bit, even though the market seems like it's getting a little stretched and people getting a little comfortable with the bullish case. I say that only in the near term, though, because Wall Street is not predicting big up years in general. It's, it's more or less saying, yeah, we can tack on a little bit. So market doesn't always just go gently in one direction or another for long. Yeah, we got two more days technically of this Santa Claus yes. rally, right? But already many of the notes out from uh, traders, market watchers, et cetera, are saying, you know, we're really in earnest going to see how we're starting this year, starting next week. And then, of course, earnings is going to be such a big focus when we get to the middle of the month and you start to get some of those numbers. One of those key questions, and I know we've talked about it quite a bit, is are the expectations in terms of earnings for 2020 too high? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Earnings are all over the map, too. You know, if, as we yeah. heard from the many guests who came on with us last week, oh, earnings growth is going to be zero. No, earnings growth is going to be 5 percent. No, it's going to be 8 percent. No one has any clue on what the, the earnings picture is going to look like. And maybe that's why it's hard to get a forecast uh, the m- much far out. The published are still high single-digit percentage gains, right? They're still up near 9%. Um, almost everyone believes that's, I think, generally too high. But that's not a given in every single year that, all, that they always start out uh, too high. I don't think anyone thinks earnings across the board are going to be strong. And that's why I think when, you, when you're close to flat in earnings, it means... Some companies are growing a lot, and some are actually shrinking in terms of, uh, of profits. So I do think that's why it's created this kind of bifurcated market. Uh, growth stocks, that's the big question, is do we get some kind of rebalancing rotation-type action? 
the huge growth stocks that uh, that carried things largely toward the end of last year. Uh, it's not really about this year's earnings. It's about very long-term earnings trends. So do you see a rotation into the more cyclical stocks? January tends to be a good month for that, people start to get more uh, optimistic about what the economy can do and cyclicals outperform. Yeah, which of course brings us back to this whole phase one trade deal, what trade looks like in, in 2020, and of course what the details ultimately of that are, since we've gotten details, details. Just give me the signing already. That's what Wall Street wants, right? Um, yeah, and then also, of course, and you mentioned it to start the hour, um, the fact that we are continuing to see monetary stimulus, and most recently from the PBOC uh, overnight, lowering its reserve requirement ratio for all the banks. And I think there's that expectation that we're going to continue to have this accommodative policy, even as the Fed just holds pat, perhaps, this year, uh, the world over. That's a good point. Um, it is a reminder, if nothing else, that you know central banks around the world, global easing, stimulus still remains in play. China is such a big story on the trade front and their e uh, economy front that if they can keep their economy from falling completely out of bed, which they've been managing to do throughout the entire trade issue by virtue of, um, you know, stimulus, yeah. et cetera, then you have a market picture that looks pretty good. And today and this morning is a pretty darn good reminder when, of that. When we were talking about fears of a trade war and what it meant for companies and the economy, what we meant was things are going to get ugly in China for the economy. I mean, that's really the bottom line when you when you brought it back to the fortunes of global companies. It was about can that economy continue to contribute more than its share of growth. And I do think now what you've seen with the, the trade agreement, the de-escalation, the reduction of, of tariff expectations and the easing moves is they're trying to figure it out when they maybe have. But of course, to both of your points, that also speaks to the ripple effects uh, of China on so much of the rest of the world. You could point to some of the PMI numbers we got overnight, too. Not, yeah. Still not great. Um, and the fact that, you know, given what we've seen happen in emerging markets, uh, the fact that so many strategists have come on now and said maybe emerging markets, especially with trade deals coming into play, could actually look uh, attractive in the year ahead. Maybe a, a bit of, I don't know, necessarily want to call it an ominous sign, but that story today in the Wall Street Journal, they're exclusive on the conference board, their first read that CEOs oh, yeah. move up now, recession fear as their number one risk for 2020. So if you're assuming that you get these trade deals and it's all of a sudden going to open the corporate spigot and you're just going to have money flowing and CapEx and this and that, maybe you have to, you know, maybe rethink that. Yes, although it's the, I was going to say in the fine print, but it's in the article. The survey was taken in September and October. OK, that was before you got the trade deal. And now there's some commentary in there saying, well, we don't really think CEO psychology has changed very much. And guess what? Markets up 10 percent since then. CEO psychology is much more bright than it was when they took that survey. That's my thought on. It. All right. Well, let me let's let, let's let the uh, check writing match, um, you know, the thought. Let's see, see, see what, what actually happens. happens. Right. All right. Joining us now, uh, J.P. Morgan Asset Management's David Kelly, Mayflower Advisors, Larry Glazer. It's good to see you both. Happy New Year. David, what do you think? Where are we going to go this year in the stock market? Well, it's, it's not going to be as good as last year. It's, I, I think we can still probably, certainly for the first half of the year, move up. I think that what's really going on here is the Fed put in a, a relatively gratuitous set of rate cuts last year. But what that did is it put the yield on cash below inflation. And that means it's very hard to find another place domestically to put your money. And that's causing this flow of money into equities. I think that's really what's behind what we've seen in the last few months. I think the economy remains slow but stable. And that's probably allowing the stock market to continue to move up. But, you know, longer term, people need to look longer term and valuations are higher than average. And that means, you know, muted returns over the next decade. Larry, does, does that make sense? 
to you, or do you have a different view? I think it makes view? a lot of sense. Look, I think that uh, as we turn the page into the new decade, into the new year, there's a tremendous sense of optimism on the heels of strong stock market gains and obviously the longest U.S. economic expansion in modern history. With that said, I think we always look forward to a chance for reflection in the new year, and reflection starts with your portfolio. There's two dynamics we look forward to every January. One is the so-called January effect. The end of that tax law selling in December, much more muted than normal. We expect a more muted January bounce because of it. The other dynamic, of course, is window dressing. Window dressing was more pronounced last year. We saw Apple and Microsoft leading the market, 15% of the S&P returns. That is pushing people into technology names, losing their heads. Portfolio reflection means looking more broadly, looking outside. Today, PBOC, that injection of liquidity, Emerging themes should be emerging markets. I agree with that. It means international. It means looking more broadly outside of last year's leadership, and it means rotation into 2020. That's what I'm much more excited about. David, one of the things you highlight in, in your recent note is the focus on, or, what, or the fact that you're focused on some longer-term concerns. What are they and why? Yep. Yeah, one of them is population growth. Uh, you know, on December 30th, one of the quietest days of the year, the Census Bureau released numbers which showed the slowest percentage population growth in a century since the influenza of 1918. Uh, we've got a declining growth, a declining immigration, and we've got the lowest birth rate in 32 years. And if you feed this into economic models, what it suggests is we're locking in 2% growth. We're not going to be able to do better than that unless we have more immigration or some huge surge in capital spending that we don't expect here. So we've got slow U.S. growth. And if you look at the end of, you know, we ended the last decade with international equities looking a lot cheaper than U.S. equities. I think one of the keys for the decade ahead is making sure you've got enough international exposure. I understand people's nervousness and the disappointment in the last few years. Make sure you have that because they are cheaper and the rest of the world will grow faster than the U.S. in the years ahead. And I think, by David, the way, I think uh, David makes a really good point that diversification doesn't mean owning Apple or Microsoft. It means owning other companies, means owning other countries, other industries. The rotation that we saw in energy names coming in, I think, is a sign of things to come. It's about growth, not just about multiple expansion. Last year, tech was all about multiple expansion. We need to look more broadly, wait for the earnings to come out to see if the fundamentals can catch up with the stock market performance that we saw last year. David, though, just uh, just on that idea that we kind of maybe stuck in a two percent track, the two 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 backdrop has been pretty good for financial assets, right? Two percent growth, two percent treasury yields, give or take, two percent inflation. So, uh, does that just mean that we keep kind of get revaluing incrementally higher in that type of environment? Uh, only for a while, because there is a squeeze in profits going up. The, you know, the good news is I think we can probably avoid a recession over the next year. This is a very stable, slow-growing economy. The bad news for profits is that we are seeing some growth in wages, and that's nice for workers, but it is squeezing those profit margins. So, uh, yes, from a financial perspective, stocks look attractive, uh, but I think profit growth will be low single digits in the year ahead. And, you know, if you have any bump in the road in terms of demand, it could be worse than that. And so I think that does, there, there are some limits here. So people just need to be careful. We, you know, we shouldn't get too giddy. And the stock market's really telling you of an economy that's better than the one that we really have. Larry, going back to the point you just made about multiple expansion and what earnings need to tell us or, or confirm in terms of the fundamentals, what, happen is, what happens if that doesn't happen? Where does the market go uh, if you see those earnings fall short? 
Look, there's no doubt by the end of last year, it was getting priced into the market. And David made a really good point early on, which was there was two to three trillion dollars worth of cash that was getting pushed off the sidelines as money market yields were coming down. As that money really started to accelerate towards the end of last year, and by the way, it may continue into this year, that money's got higher expectations. So if the earnings aren't there, stocks ultimately will track those earnings. But I think when you really dig into the weeds, you're going to see certain areas of the market that may have been fundamentally pushed up in valuation. Low volatility, for example, was one area that became a great theme. It made a lot of sense. It was very defensive. But you can't hide your way into prosperity. You've got to have the earnings growth. You can't just have the multiple expansion. And by the way, I think going into an election year, we'd have to be insane to take this market or this economy for granted. At the end of the day, it's all about the fundamentals. And all the liquidity is really great, and the liquidity really helps, and liquidity has, has driven us so far. And we should send a gift basket to Fed Chairman Jay Powell for last year, but we need the fundamentals to maintain really strong and pro-growth policies to enable that. Gotcha. Leave it there. Guys, thank you, Larry and David. We'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Thank Thanks. you. Coming up, Carlos Ghosn as a fugitive. The latest on the former Nissan chairman fleeing from Japan to Lebanon. And taking another look at the futures, poised for a pop in the major averages to start this first day of 2020, at least in terms of trading. More Squawk on the Street live from Post 9 at the NYSE when we return. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. New details emerging in the story of Carlos Ghosn fleeing from Japan to Lebanon. Phil Lebeau is in Chicago with more. Hey, Phil. Hey, Scott, this is a global story with developments really coming from all different parts of the world. Let's start first off with the report that came out within the last hour or two that Interpol has issued a warrant regarding Carlos Ghosn. Now, the way this works is that Interpol issues this warrant, which has been received by the Lebanese government. Then it's up to Lebanon to decide, do we arrest him? Do we, do we keep this under notice? What do we do? So we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, you're looking at video of Japanese police raiding the home where Carlos Ghosn was staying before he escaped the country. And Turkey is questioning the pilots who were uh, flying the plane. Essentially, that got him out of Japan. And then there was another plane that took him into Lebanon. Carlos Ghosn reportedly will be holding a press conference next week. Now, we say reportedly because it has been in a couple of reports out of the Middle East that he will talk on perhaps Wednesday of next week. Then others saying, well, they're not really sure if that's the case. One thing is certain. When Carlos Ghosn does finally talk, whether it's a press conference, whether it's one-on-one -on -one interviews, he's going to have a lot to say. Oh, there's also a report that he had a French passport. That allowed him to get into the country of Lebanon. And finally, as you take a look at shares of Nissan Renault, we're going all the way back to the day when Carlos Ghosn was arrested in November of 2018. This stock is down 35%. Guys, we'll get more developments, I'm sure, later today and over the next couple of days exactly, or maybe not exactly, but more details on how he was able to get out of Japan. What's interesting, Phil, and maybe most interesting if you you know in reading the articles is that the Japanese have done very little to try and figure out up to this point exactly how it happened they haven't contacted the airport um, the fact that it fell over this new year period which is so sacred to the Japanese 
Uh, mm -hmm. It just adds to the whole story of, oh, well, okay, uh, he's gone. Uh, we'll figure it out later. Yeah, but you know that they have to be smarting from this. I mean, this is the ultimate thumbing your nose at authority. If, from the Japanese perspective, they're looking at this saying, wait a second. We had this guy under house arrest. We had people and cameras watching the house, and he still got out of the country? I mean, that is the ultimate Keystone Cop kind of uh, maneuver there uh, from the Japanese uh, perspective. And I'm sure as more questions are asked within Japan, you'll start to see the government respond in some fashion in terms of saying, okay, at a minimum, we've got to figure out how this happened. Phil, I want to know what this actually does to this two-decade alliance between uh, Nissan and Renault. We've already seen the cracks emerge uh, after Ghosn right. was ousted. Uh, but then when you have headlines like France saying it won't extradite Ghosn if he goes there, uh, I can't help but think that it only adds to the tension that is emerging. Completely adds to it, Morgan. Keep, keep in mind that the French government, it owns a chunk of Renault. So exactly. they are in this partnership. It's not like they're like, well, it's one of our companies and they're in a partnership with a Japanese company. Oh, no, it is the French government which has a major say in, in what happens with Renault. And this relationship is fragile to begin with and has been since the arrest of Carlos Ghosn. And by the way, Carlos Ghosn is being investigated in France. So there is the possibility that France, as they do their own investigation, may come up and say, look, we believe that he should be extradited from Lebanon. We don't know if that'll happen, but that's another element of this that certainly plays into the dynamic of how the French government handles what's a very awkward situation. Yeah, awkward, intricate, uh, Phil. Uh, all that stuff applies. I know you'll be tracking it. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. You bet. We could see some record highs on this first trading day of the year. Look how we're set up right now. The uh, S&P set to open up uh, just about 17 points. That would bring it just right about to its intraday all-time high. Dow uh, as well might be just short of that, up 146 at this hour. And the NASDAQ looking to open up about 72 points. More Squawk in the Street live from Post 9 at the NYSE when we return. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Welcome back. We are just eight minutes before the opening bell. All the major averages poised to open higher. We're even on record watch, so we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, let's bring in Slate Stone Wealth Senior Market Strategist and CNBC contributor Kenny Polcari. Kenny, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Morgan. What are you watching right now? So what are you watching? First of all, it's Thursday, Friday of kind of a vacation week. So I don't think you can put a whole lot of uh, uh, emphasis into what actually happens. We see it. Futures are up this morning. Market's going to be higher. I really think 
you have to start to wait till next week when everybody's back at their desk and you start the conversations again. Earnings going to start in, uh, on the 14th of January in earnest, so there's going to be a lot of talk around that. Really, the guidance, because remember, the earnings of history, as you and I talk about all the time, they've already happened, they're done. It's really about what the message is going forward. So between earnings, between uh, trade, and between politics, I think that's really going to be the driver at least through the first quarter. Once we get a better idea come Super Tuesday, who the Democrats are really kind of pushing to the top of the uh, of, of the list. So the way to think about this then, Kenny, is that this rotation we've seen towards risk assets, that's likely to continue, at least in the near term? Well, so here's what I think. I actually think we're going to see the market come under a little bit of pressure. I mean, unlike today, where it feels once again, you know, this continuation of this surge, if you really look what's happened, the market's up 14% since October, right? With really very little pullback. And I think a lot of that was kind of the year-end window dressing, the Santa Claus rally, the lack of people uh, locking in profits in. Uh, you know, into that surge at the end of the year. I do think you're going to see some of that come uh, the second, third week of January. People take it, locking some profits in ahead of earnings, kind of ahead of uh, some geopolitical stuff that happened over this week. We saw in not only North Korea, but also in the Middle East. And so I think that's going to give people a reason to lock in some profits, watch the market come under maybe a little bit of pressure, nothing dramatic, but certainly a little bit of pressure. And then I think the focus turns back to the macro, the fundamentals, right? The earnings, like I said, is going to be a big conversation uh, for the rest of January. And, you know, uh, on the other hand, uh, Kenny, people wondering if we could be looking at something like a little bit of a rush by retail investors to get a piece of this. There hasn't really been a lot of inflow. Maybe January would be the time. Happened in 2018. And then you did get a big break in the market after uh, an initial surge. But any signs of that? Well, listen, I, 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 I always find this conversation interesting because it makes it appear as if the retail investor has been sitting out this whole ride and hasn't done anything and all of a sudden goes, oh, my God, I got to jump in. And they jump in at the end. Right. That's what it sounds like. But for, for, for money that we manage and for the people that we're talking to, they've been involved in this rally. Retail investors have their money investors. They may not be. They may be a little less aggressive as we get closer to what they perceive as a top. And maybe they are waiting for that market to pull back. But, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think that there's this rush by retail to get in because they've missed this whole move at all. If you're a if you're a long term investor, a retail long term investor, you're in this market. You should have been in this market. Your advisor should have had you in this market. Uh, Any advisor that has been telling you as a long term investor to sit it out and wait is probably you should probably talk about getting a new advisor. But for the most part, I think retail's comfortable where they are. I think there are are going to be certain pockets that the retail investors are very excited about. I mean, you can't help but get all worked up about Amazon and the retail story that's coming out and Apple and all that stuff. And those names will continue to perform well. But I think for the broader market, retail is in. Retail is smarter than they were, you know, three or four years ago. So I think they're a little bit more methodical. They continue to understand how to play that game. And so uh, I'm not I'm not I don't see a rush of all of a sudden this retail money coming coming rushing into the market. I think we're there. All right. Kenny Fulcari, thanks for joining us today. Opening bell is just minutes away. Stay with us. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street live from the financial capital of the world. Opening bell set to ring in just about one minute's time. We're on record watch, as we said. Uh, Look like the Dow may just fall a tiny bit short right off the open. Needs 163. 
for a new record. Some of the stocks we're watching today, I had my eye on Wells Fargo, got downgraded by Baird to yeah. a sell yeah. today. Uh, they like Charlie Scharf, but they just think the whole thing's going to take a little bit longer than maybe some people expect to turn that, around. That group has rallied as a complete block, and so I guess now is the time to figure out if it's if it's justified based on uh, based on the name, based on domestic versus global exposure and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, Wells uh, has had a good run at least recently. All right, well, they're uh, about to ring the bell here. You hear the clapping already, so in just a moment you're going to get that. But, yeah, financials have been a good group, and we've been watching the bulk of those stocks continue to rise really towards the end of the year. You've had a little bit of a tick up in interest rates, which certainly doesn't hurt. Maybe a little better economic picture as well, which some people have liked. But there's the opening bells, the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. Here is a big board, Blue Ridge Bank shares, celebrating its recent listing on the NYSE American and at the NASDAQ Mentor, a national youth mentoring movement. All right, so we'll watch the major averages open all strongly across the board. Another stock, guys, to keep an eye on, Morgan, is Tesla. Tesla gets a street-high bump in its price target today to $515 at Canaccord. They say, quote, the year of the EV revolution is going to gather speed. Yeah, the year of the EV revolution is going to gather speed. We also know, something we've been talking about, uh, is that we're going to see more EV models come out from other competitors as well. So it'll be just interesting to see how all of that shapes out. Meantime, you're expecting auto sales, uh, most of them probably tomorrow. There is a chance, I think, that we could get the Tesla numbers later today, so we'll be on watch for that. Uh, meantime, the company's saying that it's going to begin delivering those Shanghai-made Model 3s to the public. Remember, they started delivering to their employees earlier this week. Uh, next week, January 7th. So that's going to be one to watch as well. You know, on on that note, Ford also, by the way, got a big downgrade today. And that was to a sell. Uh, Underperform at Evercore. So as we're talking about auto sales and where we are in that cycle, Ford gets cut to a sell. That stock has opened uh, flattish, yeah. Yeah, basically flat. But again, uh, to a touch higher, you do have an overall uh, higher market. And that was also uh, kind of a relative value call versus GM. Uh, and GM opens up 1% on the day. So it seems as if, uh, you know, the market has already been uh, kind of moving in that direction, feeling like GM looks a lot cheaper uh, for what it's worth. But really the overall uh, kind of where we are in the auto sales cycle is uh, maybe something that will be answered today a little bit by the monthly sales. You, you guys get a check of this uh, Mahaney note, Mark Mahaney over yes. at RBC. You know, everybody this time of year sort of puts out their predictions and their big lists of surprises for the year ahead. And Mark is certainly on that list with his own uh, and some interesting things that he's talking about here. Maybe most importantly, at least it jumped out to me, Uber and Lyft achieved profitability in 2020, along with the fact that the IPOs that really laid a big fat egg in 2019 roar back, in his words, in 2020. And it's Uber and Lyft among them, Pinterest, Chewy, and some of the other names like Peloton on that list, too. Yeah, definitely a contrarian call, especially based on uh, what we've seen from Uber and Lyft and also what those companies themselves have put out in terms of forecasts uh, for profitability, too. The other one that got my attention in that list was Netflix subs. Uh, The ads there could accelerate in 2020. Obviously, it's been such a big focus of Wall Street right now and whether we're going to continue to see that slowing subscription subscriber growth and what that could mean, again, in the face of all this competition. How about Amazon? Amazon's profitability plummets Mm -hmm. in 2020, according to Mark Mahaney. Um, Considering what the stock did in 2019, it had a decent year, but it underperformed dramatically the S&P. It did. And uh, and also, I mean, it's been considered that 2019 was kind of the heavy investment year for, for Amazon. Maybe it would kind of transition back toward harvesting profits and showing a little better bottom line. Uh, that call says 
not really. The question is whether the market would be okay with that because historically the conventional wisdom is you actually buy the, the CapEx cycles. And uh, the other thing um, he did say is that he expects the internet sector to get another dividend pay. Oh, I was just looking at that. But he doesn't really say which stock. I mean, you could easily see Alphabet, you know, deciding to pay a dividend. The question would be how investors would interpret that, because that often has been one of these signals that, okay, hyper growth phase is over. Now we're into kind of boring old regular business, which kind of happened with Microsoft, actually. It initiated a dividend at a time when its super growth phase back in the 90s was, was coming to an end. I don't know, though. I mean, just what we saw in terms of multiple expansion and just the vast outperformance of Apple last year could probably be turning that narrative on its head. Yes. Apple did not really conform to that idea that, you know, once you start to be a dividend payer, uh, you slow down. That is very true. Although that dividend yield is back is down to about 1% right now because the stock ah. has done so well. He throws out Facebook Point. as a possibility, uh, which would be interesting. That stock had such yeah. a monster year, up 50%. Booking as a possibility, thinks maybe one of those three, along with uh, the one you mentioned, Google. Uh, the other thing he talks about as it relates to some of the internet names and Facebook specifically, is that no material regulatory action is taken against the major internet platforms in the year ahead. As we, as we said before, you know, maybe they get a, a slap on the wrist, they don't get smacked upside the head. Right, and, and also we're talking about a 12-month window. I mean, does anyone think yeah. that whatever's going to happen from the government is in, is in a significant policy way is going to be within a year? You know, probably and not. An election year, no less. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it almost seems as if uh, it serves almost everybody's purpose who's going after these companies just to have them stand out there as targets as opposed to put anything tangible uh, in place. Yeah. I mean, meantime, if you look at what is performing the best in terms of sectors on the S&P this morning, it is tech stocks led higher by some of those semi-names again, also consumer discretionary and communication services, many of the names we've just been talking about. High yep. beta tech again, you know, it's yep. Western Digital and, and semi-cap and things like that. Uh, that's that's so far gotten away. Netflix is up about 2%. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Facebook uh, as you said, though, you know, communication services, Facebook's up uh, just about 1%. And of course, Apple, which is coming off its own incredible year, uh, leaving that behind, it's up another one and a quarter percent. New 52 week high, just pushing almost 300 bucks, $297 for shares of Apple right now. Um, we're going to mention um, BlackRock, which actually got uh, an upgrade today as well, I believe from Wells, up uh, about 1%. And the call here is that, look, just follow where the market has already decided the assets are going. It's obviously the blue chip name uh, in, the, uh, in the publicly traded asset managing universe and also uh, kind of a beneficiary of the, of the pain of some of the more focused uh, active asset managers. And really doesn't trade as that much of a, uh, of a premium at all. Uh, in fact, it's a discount to the overall market. So, uh, you know, that call seems to work. It seems like that's more of a uh, kind of a continuation of the trend type call, but it is getting a little bit of traction with that stock up 1%. Yeah. As I mentioned before, uh, you have a number of the semiconductor stocks that are rallying, uh, some of the biggest gainers in the S&P again today as well. A number of price target increases, some, some different analyst calls, I think, helping propel that sector higher. And then, of course, it has been such a proxy for any kind of China trade deal possibilities as well. Let's take a look at shares of United Airlines as well, up better than 2%. It's uh, one of the bigger gainers uh, this morning. That uh, stock got a nice upgrade this morning over at Evercore. Not as much exposure uh, to the MAX issues as some of the other airlines have had. We've you know, been looking at that story today, how Airbus 
takes over from Boeing for the first time in a number of years in terms of airplane deliveries. Yeah. Obviously, the MAX you know, is, is having an issue on that front, whether that is a longer-lasting thing, who knows, but notable, just given the size and scale of what Boeing is, what it means to the economy, and frankly, how widely held it is for investors, the ones who are watching this program. Uh, Boeing is in an awful lot of portfolios, and it's yeah. going to be really key to see how that stock does this year. 328 is where it is. It's up a little shy right now than 1%. Than 1%. Yeah, I mean, I think institutional investors have been very slow to back away from Boeing, and they really believe in the long-term story to such a degree that the stock has held up better than one might expect, uh, given all the news flow. Yeah, and certainly we saw Airbus top its own forecast in terms of deliveries in 2019, and now, you know, largest aerospace manufacturer in the world based on these numbers, given everything that is going on with Boeing. But Airbus had its own issues this past year as well in terms of some production stuff having to lower and trim its forecast back uh, in early fall as well. So it goes back to this investor theme that you have this du duopoly and this duopoly that's not likely to be disrupted anytime soon. But Boeing, this is going to be another big year, another big month, I should say, for Boeing, because you have production halting for 737 MAX and you have Dave Calhoun officially coming in and taking the helm as CEO this month as well. So we'll Talk, see what happens. Talking about the airlines a little bit makes me think of uh, Warren Buffett and, you know, United and his big stamp of approval on that space. And it brings us to the story we haven't gotten to yet. Tiffany, yeah. you know, inviting Buffett to make a bid against LVMH and Buffett saying, ah, you know, I'm going to take a pass on this one. And he is sitting on a, uh, you want to call it a war chest, whatever you want to call it. He is sitting on Massive. a mountain yeah. of cash, $120 billion, wondering what he's going to do with that. It's been a while since they've done a deal. It's uh, quite a while since he's done a deal of any significant size. I do think you have to keep in mind that if you are a company in play, I mean, it's worth the phone call to, to, to Buffett, right? This is the second time we've heard this story. There was a company that had, had a tentative agreement to be acquired, and they, you want to check to see if Berkshire Hathaway might be interested. Yeah, why not? Take it down all at once. There's tremendous prestige, by the way, in selling to, uh, to Berkshire. So it's not as if uh, maybe Tiffany thought that it would fit perfectly within his portfolio. A couple things about the war chest. Um, first of all, it's a lot of cash, not all of it unencumbered, of course. They have a big insurance business that they it's kind of spoken for on some level. Also, the, the stake in Apple, uh, I don't know, I think it's about worth about Big. one seventh of what Berkshire's market value is. It's doubled. So he owns plenty of equity exposure. Sure. And so the question is do we, do we need to, uh, you know, he probably wants to find something that's a compelling value well, and it's not necessarily out I'm there. I'm glad you just said that because that's where, where I was going to go next is, is, it, is it a broader comment on valuations in the market at large? That Buffett looks across the landscape and says, you know what, market's gone up a lot. Valuations are high. Things are just too expensive. I'm just going to sit and in, in, in wait yeah. until something happens in the, in, a, in the market, and then I'm going to pounce on something. Yeah, which I think are, is exactly the type of commentary we've heard from him uh, in recent months when he's, when he's spoken to Becky Quick and, and, and come out. Um, Berkshire Hathaway, the, the Class B shares, though, they're up 12% over the past 12 months, speaking to how much... Despite all of the different businesses, despite that giant float, that cash pile, uh, the fact that this is a company that is underperforming and investors uh, have been, I guess you could say, impatient yeah. to see something done with that money. It's a big equity portfolio with a big cash drag in a bull market. Plus, of course, they own a railroad and there's all kinds of back and forth in terms of what, what other exposures the company has on a wholly owned basis. But I think what the cash pile also says is, and he's Buffett's on record that he, he hates bonds, he's kind of been 
you know, you could say wrong about he thought where yields should be. Uh, and he's holding cash instead of uh, instead of bonds. But in terms of the not seeing values, I mean, one of the better Buffett quotes of all time is that he views investing as um, a game like you're playing baseball, you're a hitter and there's no called strikes. So you can just let him go by, let him go by, let him go by until you see the perfect pitch. He's not going to feel compelled to swing. A metaphor like that. Well, it's the perfect one. He's not going to feel compelled to swing just because, you know, he hasn't done so in a while. Yeah. He's going to he's going to take a look at the landscape and see how everything looks. And, and you mentioned his past conversations with Becky. I, I do remember one of the most recent ones where she asked him about Apple. And he said, well, I'd love for it to come down a little bit. Love for it to be lower. And he asked if you'd buy any more. You know, are there many things that someone like Buffett would look across the investing landscape today and said, I'd like to buy more of that? I don't know. One one thing is he hasn't bought a whole lot more of his own shares. I mean, and that's something that some mm. investors feel like is, is a little bit of a missed opportunity, that he's not done a bigger buyback, only in modest levels. Uh, you know, it's clearly uh, the, he does it only reluctantly and only under certain pretty strict terms. So, uh, you know, that's going to remain a question. Yeah. Do, by the way, um, we, we just were above the prior closing high on the Dow, the record high. We were about plus 165, and we're right about that area right now. Of course, Bob Pisani's watching all of it and what's moving on the floor. Hey, Bob. And the important thing here is a great start to the new year, Scotty. Five to one advancing the declining stocks, uh, new highs across the board in several big global sectors. The key story today is actually not in the U.S. China cut its uh, bank reserve ratios again. Uh, this, in theory, frees up more money for lending by the banks over there. Essentially, it means more liquidity, folks. That's the important thing. <clears throat> this is igniting a nice rally over in Europe, the Euro stock 600. This is a new high uh, for that index. And remember, Europe has lagged the United States for years now. Last year, up about 20 percent overall for uh, some of the key European indexes. So finally, a decent year for them. Hang Seng also uh, 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 not keeping up to the uh, United States last year, finally doing a little bit better. Shanghai also seven-month high there. Let's take a look at here in the United States. Chinese stocks here, MCHI, the broader China uh, ETF, uh, sitting up nicely here. Alibaba, new high here at the New York Stock Exchange. That's important. Semis, of course. This is all China-related. Uh, emerging markets, the EEM index, metals and mining strong. Utilities are lagging here. So, again, you see the effects of uh, more liquidity in China, even here on the U.S. stock market. The question is, what's 2020 going to look like? Exact opposite situation. I keep emphasizing this, how different it was. On January 1st, 2019, we had earnings recession fears, and the stocks were cheap 14 times, 13.9 forward earnings. That's below the historic average, 15 or 16 is typical. Here today, January 1st, 2020, we don't have any recession or earnings recession fears immediately on the horizon, and stocks are expensive, exactly the opposite. 18 times forward earnings. That's pricey here. So the question is, can we get some better earnings in 2020 so we don't have to have such a high multiple at 18? That's a little bit risky. So here's 2018. We had this huge push up in earnings growth because of largely because of the tax cuts, also an improving economy. 2019, we're not done yet, but essentially, let's call it flat. I've been saying flattish for six months. I think that's a fair way to characterize it. And early estimates for 2020, almost 10%. We all know that these analyst estimates tend to be high. The real numbers here, probably three, four percentage points lower. So a lot of the strategists have 5% earnings growth for 2020 or so. That's a fair number. At least that would take some pressure off of that earnings multiple. 
acceptable. Let's take a look at the earning or the early uh, reporters here. We've got a number of companies, 15 or so, that do November ending quarters, including some very big companies. And you want to see how the analysts kind of reduce their numbers or increase them for the first quarter. So we had estimates lower for some of the big reporters. FedEx in particular, Nike had the numbers lower by analysts in the first quarter. Micron, General Mills, and Carnival. That's a pretty big group. That's about two-thirds of the reporters. Ten out of the 15 had the numbers lowered by analysts in the first quarter after the reports came out at the end of November. Some, like AutoZone and Costco, they had it raised here, but those companies have been doing terrifically overall. What's the story? It's a very mixed picture here. You still want to watch. The number's not clear that we're going to have a big earnings uh, pickup by the early reporters so far. Remember something here for the Santa Claus rally here. We always like to watch this. Last five days of the, of the 2019, first two 2020, average gain 1.3%. So far at the open here, we're up 0.7%. A little bit below typical numbers here, Mike, but given the run-up that we had uh, in the month of December, maybe that's to be expected. Back to you. Bob, thanks very much. For more on uh, the morning's movers, let's uh, get uptown to Seema Modi at the Nasdaq. Hi, Seema. Hey, Michael. As Bob pointed out, an injection of stimulus from the Chinese central bank is certainly one way to kick off the new year. And Chinese strategists say there's more to come amid renewed concern around the Chinese economy and whether its growth rate will break below 6%. On that note, a number of Chinese-listed tech names here at the Nasdaq are trading higher. JD.com, Baidu, Weibo as well. The Nasdaq coming off its best year since 2013, the first trading day of the year. And we're looking at Apple opening at a new record high. Apple, of course, was 2019's best performer with an 86% gain. And question this year is the launch of the 5G phone. Will it continue to capitalize on its success in wearables? Microsoft, another big winner on the Nasdaq as well. Want to draw your attention to Tesla at this hour. You guys mentioned it at the top as well. It's planning to deliver its second batch of Chinese-made Model 3 sedans from its new Shanghai factory on the 7th of January. That's according to reports. This is a fact though that it built just last year and it's certainly a sign that its strategy in China is starting to pay off but the numbers and earnings will tell us the real story that stock up 1.5 percent guys back to you Seema Modi at the Nasdaq thank you we're staying on top of the markets as we see new records in the new year the Dow the S&P and the Nasdaq all hitting fresh record intraday highs this morning the Dow trading just below 200 points the S&P is up half a percent, and the NASDAQ is back above 9,000. Squawk on the street. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Stimulus news out of China helping to fuel the markets to record highs. Dow's up 179 or 183 points now. This is President Trump says he will sign the phase one trade deal on January 15th. Eunice Yoon is here at Post 9 with more. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. Tell us the latest. It does seem there's already this expectation we're going to get this deal signing, and perhaps most notably in D.C. after all the back and forth on where it would happen, and then this idea that a phase two is going to begin after that. Yeah, that's the expectation out of the White House. But uh, right now, the Chinese have not yet officially confirmed this, um, any of the information in President Trump's tweet. And um, in the state media, there isn't any discussion about it at all. It is, uh, the Chinese style is to be much more cautious. So we have seen them not confirm information, but then it turns out to be true sometimes. And also there is an expectation that if it's not on January 15th, it would be assigning what happened at some point because the economy is slowing down overnight. We had some economic data, which 
uh, which disappointed. So this is the Saishin PMI, which uh, measures uh, small and medium-sized manufacturers, engages them, and it was worse than what people had expected, the, th- the worst in, in three months. So that data, plus also the um, messaging out of the leadership, which has been that 2020 is going to be, uh, be a year when they need to stabilize the economy, is um, leading to expectations that there will be a signing at some point this month. What's the conversation been like about the last sentence in the president's tweet the other day of a visit to Beijing, uh, a more formal visit? There hasn't been any confirmation of that at all. No, 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 not at all. I mean, there's been more discussion about a phase two. So will there be a phase two? There's been a lot of fear and concern about a tech war uh, brewing. And so whether or not that's actually going to lead to some discussion or if it's not going to lead to anything at all. And so there's that's that's the part that a lot of people are talking about. There have been conflicting you know, reports, whatever you want to call it, as to how far we've progressed in, in the phase one language, whether it still needs to be translated, whether it already was translated. That's the Navarro-Mnuchin yeah. disconnect yeah. Um, in, in terms of Kayla Tausch's reporting. So to your point, um, there's still a lot that has to happen before this whole thing gets done. There is, and there's a lot of pe- there are a lot of people who said, oh, this looks like what was discussed back in May, a, lo- <laughs> a while back. There hasn't been a whole lot of progress, so... We did talk about the uh, the sort of easing move overnight in China as well. I mean, how do we yeah. think about this in terms of uh, is it really just a routine providing more liquidity to the, to the markets or uh, is there a sense of urgency about it? I think there's both. So we're leading up to the Lunar New Year. And so you, you, we, we usually see liquidity being injected into the markets around this time because there's just such a cash crunch even right before uh, before I left, a lot of people were talking about the cash crunch. And then uh, the other part of it is that there is concern about the economy. And so this move plus on January 1st, we had import tariffs. Um, it eased. Uh, that's another way in which they could try to uh, stimulate spending in China. And then there's another big political factor that's coming up, uh, why people think 2020 is going to be an important year to stabilize the economy. And that is that in 2021, there is the 100th anniversary of the Communist Party the founding. And so President Xi Jinping has said that he wants to make sure that the per capita GDP from 2010 is doubled by next year. So everyone's talking about that means 6% growth for 2020. When I see a stat like this, Chinese consumer inflation, well, we'll leave that for another day. But <laughs> we talk about China for the next several hours. Anyway, Eunice Yoon, thank you so much for joining us here at Post 9. On another day of record highs for the markets, Western Digital and AMD leading the S&P higher as you take a look uh, at this uh, at the board of the leaders. We'll be right back. Record highs for the major averages. Dow right now up just shy of 200 points, two thirds of one percent. But all across the board, another record setting day for the major averages. Squawk on the street is back in less than three minutes. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM.